0: All right, kids, come on up. Come on up, everyone. Find a spot to sit. All right, good to see everyone today. We have a good crew today. It's good to see. Thanks for being here to worship God with us. That's great. Come on over, guys. Come on over. All right. So I have a couple things to show you with questions to ask. Let's see if I can find Okay, I have first here a rock. Now, I have a question for you. Can this rock praise God? No? Okay, I have an apple. How about this apple? Can this apple praise God? No? Okay, I have a a bear. Can the bear praise God? What if it was a real live bear? Could that bear praise God? No? Well, Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare God's glory, right? Right? But it's different than praising God, right? When we look in the heavens and we look at all these things that God has created, we can know something about God. We can learn something about God, right? But they don't tell us of God's salvation, do they? They don't worship God in the same way that we do. They can't praise God and worship him like we can. So they can't tell of God's great salvation. We heard about that already this morning, right? We heard and We sang of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. We heard Pastor Jeremy talk about it and Mr. Cadero in his prayer, right? God has saved us. But these things can't declare that to us. Only people can do that. See, people, we were created in a special way, right? We were created different than rocks and apples and bears and the stars, right? We were created in God's image. We were created to be like God, And so there's a specialness to people. God created us that way. And because of that, we have this special task of worshiping God like nothing else in all of creation can. Now, why would that be? Why can we worship like nothing else in creation can? Well, it's because we are the only ones who have this salvation, right? So God is holy. Remember at the beginning of the service, only a holy God. God is holy, but we as people, we have sinned against him, right? And so we have this big debt against God because of our sin. That's not like bears and apples, is it? That's us. But because of that, God has poured out his love to us, right? We're the only ones who have experienced his salvation because Jesus died on a cross and rose again to give us new life, right, to save us. We're the only ones who can worship God with that knowledge of that salvation, because we're the only ones created in his image and likeness and the only ones who Christ has saved like that. And so because of our faith, then, we get to worship and praise God like nothing else can. In our psalm today, Psalm 30 and chapter, or excuse me, verse 9, it says, What profit is there in my death? This is David talking. If I go down to the pit, if I die, he says, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? So if we don't declare God's faithfulness and his salvation, will the apples declare it? No, only we can do that. And so God preserves us so that we can be in fellowship with him and worship him. Only we can do that. So do you think we can fulfill that great purpose of worshiping God and praising him and telling of his great faithfulness, even as we sang about just a little bit ago? Yeah, we get that special privilege to do that only People get to do it in that way because we know of God's salvation for us that will last forever and ever. So we get to praise and worship God with great joy. All right. Thanks for coming up. Pastor Jeremy's going to come now and preach through Psalm 30.
1: All right. Thanks, Sean, for the prayer and Pastor Jeff for leading the children. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm chapter 30. Psalm chapter 30. Keep going, Sam. Keep going. That way. There. All right. Uh, You know, we've, uh, in the summers, we're trying to preach through 10 Psalms a summer, and so we're on our 10th for the summer, Psalm 30. I don't know if they've been helpful to you. I, I love the Psalms. I am convicted, humbled, taught. You see... Life being lived before the face of God and responding and all different kinds of stuff. And Psalm 30 is another of those. And so I hope that'd be helpful to you. So what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, after Psalm 30 next week, we're gonna do two in Proverbs. One looking at the overarching uh, reason that Proverbs is written. It's parents to their child, my son. So we're going to look at that. And then the following week, we're going to look at marriage and Proverbs. The Proverbs about marriage. And so hopefully those two will be helpful. A Psalm of David. Pray, Pray and then give you some of the background to it. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me o oh lord you have brought up my soul from sheol you restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit sing praises to the lord o oh you his saints and give thanks to his holy name for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning as for me i sat in my prosperity i'll never be moved By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray. Father, you deal well with your servants in accordance with all your promises. Teach me what you're like. Teach us your word. We believe in it. Father, we go astray and so are afflicted, but now we want to keep your word. You are good and do good, so please teach us your word. We are sometimes smeared with lies, but your whole, with our whole heart we keep your precepts, for they are true. Teach us to delight in your word. It's good that we're afflicted, that we may learn to turn to you and to your word. Father, the law of your mouth is better to us than 10,000 gold and silver pieces. Help us now. Amen. Again, we see at the front of this psalm uh, that it's of David, and it notes at the dedication Of the temple. Most of the Psalms that we've preached through to this point haven't given us any info on the context. This one uh, is a bit curious. If you remember, David didn't build the temple, he had designs to build the temple. He thought he would build the temple, and God came to him and said, No, you aren't going to build me a house. I'm the covenant God, I'm going to build your house. House. I'm going to send you a son who will reign forever. So David never built the house. He never built God's house. He never built God's temple. And so the way that most people, or that people consider this, there's three different ways. One, this is, the word temple there could be house, could be tabernacle, could be temple. So one, they think this is at the dedication of David's house. It, he built a big palace of cedar and Second Samuel 5, and this is the dedication of that house. I don't think that's probably it. Could be something to do with the tabernacle. Something, something had happened with the tabernacle, maybe Absalom's rebellion, and it kind of being used wrongly, and this is kind of restoring the tabernacle, and maybe David got sick before it, and so that's it. I don't think so. Could be. Likely this is just as David, if you remember, he didn't build the temple, but do you remember what he did in preparation for building the temple? Remember? He gathered all of the building materials and got them ready so that Solomon, his son, could build the temple. Well, it's not that far-fetched then that David wrote a song preparing for the building of the temple and its dedication. So that's probably it, maybe, don't know. Uh, What we do know in the psalm is that this is a psalm of praise on the back end of David being restored after sin. David, you see in verse 6, he's full of himself. He's prosperous. Kind of thought that he attained that by his own goodness and power, and now he's good. Nothing's going to touch him. And God humbles him. God brings an illness into his life. And David is healed in verse 2. He's restored. His life is restored from the, those who go down to the pit in verse 3. And so he's praising God. So this is a psalm of praise. For God's restoration, forgiveness, bringing David back. There's three parts to it. Verses 1 to 5 are Praise as are verses 11 and 12. So the bookends of the psalm are high praise. In the middle of it, verses 6 through 10, David goes into some detail of his sin, his pleading with God, uh, so that we understand that David uh, was in trouble for his sin. And so the sin, again, is kind of the self-sufficiency, things are going well, David feels good and he gets to the point of thinking, I did this. I'm on top. I'll, I'll not be taken down. So you see that in verses 6 and 7. As for me, I set in my prosperity, my prosperity, I'll not be moved. And then you see in verse 7, a bit of an unpacking. That. It's by your favor, O Lord, that you made my mountain stand strong. So their mountain is something, a metaphor for David's life. He's the king. His mountain is tall, it's strong. And he thought in his heart, I did this, I'm good. But on the back end of it, he says to God, you did it. It's by your grace, it's by your favor. But what the center part of David's ordeal is that David likens his discipline to God hiding his face. God hides his face. God's, David's experience with the Lord's discipline was he knew the sweet presence of God, he knew being near to God, and then he doesn't. And it fills him with sorrow, with weeping, he's pleading with God, he's mourning, he's in sackcloth, and that displeasure of God the Father is momentary, and he brings David back, and David is so grateful, full of praise. So that's the psalm in a nutshell. I want to talk here about God hiding his face. We're at the end of summer, fall is coming, and with fall, cold days, and maybe winter. And one of the issues with winter are the day after day of gray, right? It's depressing. It's cold and it's gray. But then you wake some mornings and it's bright, and the sun's shining and the snow is glistening. Even though it's cold out, the sun feels delightful on your face. In the winter, I sometimes go to Fourth Floral to write my sermons in the greenhouse. They have picnic tables and whatnot to sit there. Oh, my goodness. When the sun's shining, it's too hot. Like, you go in there with your winter coat and sweatshirt, and you got to take off your winter coat, and then you got to take off your sweatshirt, and you wish you were shorts. It's the delight. Well, that's what's happening in Psalm 30. David had experienced winter gray of God hiding God with moving, God with drawing the glory of his presence, the warmth, the help, the joy of that. And now he's returned it. And David couldn't be happier. He couldn't be more grateful. Maybe you've experienced with a a dear friend or your spouse or a child just, just severe relational distance because of sin the joy and intimacy and help and all that that you had in that relationship is gone. And you miss it and you long for it and you want it and you cry out for it to be repaired, for the breach to be healed. And then when it is, you return to favor and intimacy and help and the care and the mutual love. It's joy. It's happiness. Now, For a Christian... Our greatest good is God. In fact, the doxology of doxologies in the Bible, the great pastoral doxology that God sends his people out with is, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance. Lift up his countenance, his face upon you and give you his peace and notice the parallel the lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and so god's face turned towards us, shining on us is his dealing with us in favor his countenance his favor is our peace this is throughout the Psalms. May God be gracious to you and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. So there is this connection in the Bible with God's face shining on us like the sun and us realizing God's favor, his provision, his blessing. But the opposite can be true as well in the Bible. Psalm 13.1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Psalm 27, 9. Do not hide your face from me. Don't turn away from your servant in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me. Don't forsake me. So Psalm 30 is on the back end of that experience. The greatest blessing in David's life, the greatest joy, his place of greatest comfort is God. God. God's face upon him. And to have that removed is awful. He can't stand it. It's like death. He's in a pit. In verse 1, it says, For you have drawn me up. That phrase, drawn me up, is taking a bucket at the bottom of the well and bringing it up. David was at the bottom, in the muck, and God brought him back up. He was hidden from the sunshine. He was hidden from God's presence because of his sin, and God drew him up. Now, let's be clear here. This doesn't mean that David sinned and God booted him out of the kingdom, and now he's brought him back in. This isn't God had accepted David, and now God's condemned David, and now God's back accepting David. That's not what we're talking about here. And throughout the psalm, David is calling on God as Lord, capital L-O-R-D. That is the God who has saved me, my covenant saving father. David is God's son. David is justified before God. David is accepted by God. David is within God's eternal salvation. But within that place of eternal salvation... The relationship between God and David is dark. It's clouded. It's distant because of David's sin. So this is God the Father disciplining his son. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 10, 14. We're going to look at two different passages here in Hebrews just to get our minds around this. In our Bible reading program, we read through Hebrews this past week, and so I was thinking about Psalm thirty in Hebrews, and there's some passages in Hebrews that are very helpful. And and Hebrews, Hebrews is at the back of your Bible in the New Testament, almost to the end. So in Hebrews ten, fourteen, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who's the single offering? Jesus. So there's no more needed offerings, right? There's no more sacrifice for our sins needed to be made. Once for all, done. It is finished. We sang a couple songs that delightfully reminded us of this. So for by that single offering, by Christ's death, he has perfected for how long? All time. In Psalm 30, verse 3, it calls us saints. (laughs) How can that be? How can you be referred to as a saint? Because I know you. You ain't that. How can you? Because of Christ. Because by his sacrifice, you have been made perfect for all time. But is that all that we know about us? No, look at the rest of the verse. Those who are being sanctified. There's a paradox as a Christian. You are perfected for all time, and you have a lot of perfecting to be done. Isn't that something? You're already counted righteous before God the Father. And you're not yet righteous in word, deed, thought, intent. So we see that in Hebrews, or in Psalm 30. David is the son of God. And David continues to sin. And God the Father is disciplining him so that he continues to be sanctified. We see this in Hebrews 12. If you just turn over a page... In Hebrews 12, 4 to 14, there is this exhortation that we, as we continue to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, sometimes despair of our ongoing sin and God's discipline of it. And one of the things that children are tempted to believe when their father and mother disciplines them is that my father and mother must not love me to cause me this pain. You know what I mean? You just don't know what it's like. You know? You're ruining my life. So that's what's going on in Hebrews 12. In your struggle against sin, in verse 4, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding blood. Listen, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as a son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, which you've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and lived? They discipline us for a short time as it seems best of them, but He disciplines us for a good that we may share His holiness. We could keep going. So within Psalm 30 we see this difficulty of discipline, and sometimes Christians struggle with this idea. Why do we have to confess sins on Sunday morning? We're forgiven. You're forgiven, right? Why do you have to ask for forgiveness? We we sometimes confuse the reality of God accepting us by Christ's righteousness and on our ongoing need to deal with our daily sin. We think because we're justified, we don't have to deal with our daily sin but what will happen if you won't deal with your daily sin? What does sin want to do to you? Destroy you. Sin, when it's fully conceived, gives birth to death. And God is a good father who will not let his children die, and so he disciplines us. And on the back end of that discipline is Psalm 30-like praise. Is Psalm 30 like praise? Now, one of the things that happened to me as I read this Psalm is like, my Christianity is very mellow. Now, sometimes you guys look at me and think, well, he raises his hands and he's so passionate in his sermons. And... But like, look at David's highs and lows. There's two emotions in this Psalm. There is the pit of sorrow. He's weeping. He's crying out to God. He knows the anger of God. He sees that God has hidden his face. He is very sorrowful. He's full of mourning over his sin. So you have this real sorrow with sobs over his sin and the Displeasure of his father. And then on the other end, I extol you, O God. Hey, church, verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord. O oh, you as saints, give thanks to his holy name. My glory, in verse 12, will sing your praise. I'll not be silent. O oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Why? You've turned my mourning into dancing. Deep sorrow, weeping, high, exuberant, everybody else is uncomfortable around me, praise. Aren't we dull in comparison? Isn't our Christianity far too safe? We want to stay in this mushy middle. Turn again into the New Testament with me to James chapter 4. This is maybe a few verses that are the most difficult because we just live in that mushy middle. We won't let ourselves, we restrain ourselves from feeling the depths of our depravity and the sorrow and the mourning that should come with it so we won't experience the highs, the joys of being released from God's discipline. Is your Christianity anything like what we're about to read here. Listen to this. He, that is God, gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, pause. Psalm 30. What was David's sin that he was being disciplined by God for? His pride. I said in my prosperity, nothing can touch me. This is Hezekiah. Remember Hezekiah? He's doing good as king. He got all jacked up on himself, and God brought discipline. It's pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's Psalm 30. David was disciplined by God in his pride. He turned to God. He repented. He sought the face of God, and God gave grace. Listen. Here's the exhortation. Then Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee. Verse 8, draw near to God. Isn't that what David did in Psalm 30? I cried out to the Lord. How long? Please, God, don't hide your face from me. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Listen, cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Isn't that what David was doing? But we won't, will we? When's the last time you wept over your sin rather than blaming other people? When's the last time you were just full of anguish that you did that against him who has done so much against you? And not only him who has done so much for you, but him who is God? And holy, we don't grieve our sin. And John Owen's magnificent mortification of sin, which I highly encourage you, don't read John Owen without it being translated into modern English. John's Owen, he was English, but his English is not English. And so Aaron Wren, a Christian guy in Indianapolis, has updated John Owen's magnificent mortification of sin into our English, and it is so good. And one of the things John Owen says repeatedly throughout his book is we are too quick to move past our sorrow and anguish for our sin. We don't don't want to stay there, and so we cheaply believe God has forgiven me without ever really dealing with our sin. But didn't David... Mourn and wretch and weep in Psalm 30. Why? Because his sin had removed the fatherly favor of God in heaven. And he couldn't bear it. He saw his sin and what it had done. And he couldn't stand himself. But look at If we'll do that, if we'll let in verse 9 of James 4... If we'll let our laughter be turned to mourning, our joy to gloom, and if we'll humble ourselves in verse ten before the Lord, what will He do? He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will restore His face to shine upon you, and you will know joy. So, is our Christianity too safe? Too kind of mushy middle? We won't take risks. We don't want people to know that we're that bad. And so we'll not know the goodness of God's pleasure in us. Because we, of all people, just want God's favor shining upon us. That's what we want. That's what David longed for in this psalm spiritual communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where he had this nearness and intimacy and knew, knew that God loved him, that God was for him, that God was everything for him, but his sin had hidden that for a bit. So he wanted to return to it. Again, he had experienced a week of gray in the middle of winter and He longed for the return of the sunshine of the face of God. And he knew that it was on him for his sin. But let me ask you, if God hid his face from you for your sin, would you even notice? Do you desire... God, do you sing with the psalmist as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants after you? Is communing with God, drawing near to him, knowing his delight in you and your delight in him, is his communicating to you spiritually, his love, returning to a delight and awe and fear and love, is that the main thing of your life? I don't mean that we'll always be there. I don't mean that we can constantly live in that full feeling of God's pleasure and our joy in him. But are we seeking it? Or do you kind of think like David in verse 6 that you're pretty good? You've gotten it. I'm good. David wants a return of God's face. He wants joy in God. He wants delight in God. He is seeking the face of God. He is seeking a deeper, more real experience of God's love He knew it. He knows it. And he wants it again. That's what we want as Christians. So that we can praise him. So that we can delight in him. So that we can gather with God's people and say, look at what God has done for me. That's the heart of this psalm. So let me close with how do we seek God's face what do we learn in Psalm 30 about seeking God's face? But let me, again, just make sure that we're very clear on this paradox we see in Psalm 30. Again, look at verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Are we saints if, if we're in Christ, if we have faith in Christ, true living faith? Are we saints? Yeah. How? How? By God's declaration, not by our goodness. You understand the difference, right? It's by God saying, because of Christ, because of his perfect life, because of his death in your place, because of his resurrection from the dead, because he's ascended to my right hand, because of him, you're my saint, not your goodness. So when we read of God's anger at David in verse 5. God hiding his face in verse 7. It's not God removing David from that declared place of acceptance. It's his fatherly discipline to restore him to full fellowship. This is what we practice every Sunday in our time of confession. I read a quote this morning. Whatever a man trusts in him, Trusts in whatever a man trusts in. Man there, not in masculine, but in humanity. No offense, sisters. What a man trusts in, from that he expects happiness. We put our trust in something because we expect to reap happiness. Is that wrong? No. It just depends on what you're putting your trust in. What was David putting his trust in that brought God's discipline upon him? Himself. Would David find the happiness he sought in himself? No. He could never satisfy himself in that. And so, is God's discipline of David here loving? Yeah. So that David would put his trust in God and find his happiness again in God. So, David disciplined him so that David returned to him. So, how do we seek God's face? How do do we return to Him, trusting in Him, who is all of our happiness? Who is our highest comfort and intimacy and pleasure? How do you seek Him? Well, first, one of the ways that we often answer that question is by just going after what we do. Now, there are things that we must do, but let's first begin with who we are. Again, drawing your attention to this word saints. David, or or the word Lord, excuse me. David, throughout this psalm, refers to God, the one true eternal God, the triune God, in this all caps Lord. This is a David understanding that his sin did not remove him from his place in God's saving love. David's place, his acceptance with God wasn't ultimately based on his doing, but on God's grace. And so to seek the face of God is first of all to know that God in all things is for us and not against us because he has accepted us in Christ. Could David have any assurance that if he turned to God in his sin and pled with him for mercy, that God would bring him back? Yeah. Why? It's not because David was so good. It's not because David had a record of doing things so well, because David was such a good father. He was a terrible father. It's not because he was so sexually pure. Why? Could David know that if he pled with God for God's forgiveness, for God's Restoration that David would know that God would do it. Why? Why? Come on, why? Because of God's grace. Because of the position David had before God as accepted son, forgiven because of Christ. So as you see God's face... First, know that you're seeking the face of God who is incredibly gracious towards you. we sang saying it, great is your faithfulness. Second, consider your motive in seeking the face of God. And draw your attention to verse 9. David's asking God questions here. Remember, this is David reflecting back when he was in the middle of the discipline of God and he felt like death. He felt like God's absence, God hiding his face was death. God, what profit will there be in my death? If I go down to the pit, will I be able to praise you in the grave? Will I be able to tell with God's people in the church of your faithfulness? What's David doing here? What's his motive in wanting restoration? To praise God. This is Paul in Philippians 1, 21. What does he say? All right. I, I could live or I could die. I know that being faithful to Christ is threatening my life. <laughs> and I'm right there. He's in prison. If I live... It's opportunity for more ministry to God's glory, to praise God. If I die, it's the greatest gain. This is what David's doing here. God, I want to live. I want you to deliver me from this pit of your anger at my sin so that I can get back to church and praise you with God's people. That's his motive. Why do you want God's face? Why do you want to know his great love? Is it just so that you can have more stuff? It's so that you can be seen as really good in the eyes of others? Or is it because you want to glorify him? So first, know your place in the kingdom, that you are a blood-bought saint. Second, consider your motive. Is it for the glory of God? Third, David's just praying, isn't he? How do you see God's face? Seek his face. Look at how David prays. I cried to you for help. He pled with the Lord in verse 8. I cry to the Lord. I plead for mercy. Hear, O Lord. Be merciful to me. Make it your prayer. God, I I want to know. The pleasure and intimacy of knowing you more, please, like turn everything else to taste like poison, except knowing and delighting in you. Or as David or Paul prays in Ephesians three, God fill me with Your Spirit that I might have strength to comprehend with all the saints the height, depth, length, and width, the great love with which You loved me in Christ. So pray for it. Pray for it. Or pray this for others. How about this, husband? If your wife isn't giving you the respect you want, I wonder if you'd pray for her to know more the face of God's pleasure instead of giving her the silent treatment. Or a wife for your husband. He isn't giving you the emotional intimacy, the attention. Fishing has his attention, not you. And you're angry and upset. What if you prayed for him? That he would know the joy of knowing God more and that that would lead him to love God better. Maybe it's your children. Maybe you're angry at somebody at church, disappointed. You're giving them the cold shoulder. You're unwilling to go into conflict. Do you love them enough to pray that they would know deeper, warmer, nearness of God's love. Pray. And then lastly, we praise, don't we? We praise. That's what the psalm is. We praise God for who he is. He's the Lord. He's the Holy One. We praise God for what he's done. He's rescued us. He's disciplined us. He's restored us. He's healed us. He's lifted us. He's been merciful to us. So we extol him. Look at that word in verse 1. I will extol you. We don't use that word very much. What does extol mean? I will praise out loud with enthusiasm. We'll praise him. We'll sing his praises in verse 4. We'll call on others to sing with us. Now, don't forget, this praise in Psalm 30 is the result of David going down in the pit for his sin in sorrow. And so do not like, be weary of the Lord's discipline. Don't be weary of dealing with your sin. David wasn't a perfect man, but he's a repentant one. He's not wallowing in the pity of woe is me. He's praising God who has been merciful to him. And so let's do that. Let's praise God. Let's pray. Father, help us. Praise you for your word. What a help. You have given us your word. You have not withheld it. You're not hiding truth from us. Praise you for giving us things like Psalm 30. Help us to learn. Help us to deal with our sin as David does, weep and mourn and and then to call on you and to praise you with full-throat enthusiasm. So God, we praise you that you have done such good for us. We thank you for your son. We ask that you'd help us to live more emotional in our relationship with you, that we would be willing to go into weeping and mourning over our sin, that we'd be willing to dance, jumping for your forgiveness. And so, God, open us up to more of that. Help us not to fear so much what others think, but to delight in you. And God, mostly, though, teach us to seek your face, to know you more, to delight in you, to enjoy you, to know that there is nothing better in heaven but you and nothing that we need more on earth but you. And so, God, help us with this. Please teach us this. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The charge, there's a few. One, if you're going to get to the place of knowing the grace of God, the love of God, you'll have to get over being surprised of how uh, awful you are in your sin. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes as Christians, we just get this viewpoint um, that we've done okay. We know we sin, but we just refuse to see it for how bad it is. Our rebellion, our lust, our lying, all of it. And, and so like we read throughout the Bible of how bad we are. We see it in David. And he could, after a sin with Bathsheba, just kind of pack it down and and so cheaply go to the grace of God. Do you know what I mean? And so if you're going to see the joy of Psalm 30, you're going to have to see the depths of your depravity. You're going to have to believe Psalm 14.1. The fool says in heart, there is no God. We are all corrupt. We all do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Paul picks that up in Romans 3 and applies it to all of us. There is no one who does good. Do you get what I'm getting at? Don't be so good. Don't be surprised when you're so bad. Let it drive you to Christ and plead with him. Be sick of yourself. Wail, weep, mourn and God will lift you up. Second, love each other by wanting nothing for each other than to know God more. That's it. Love your husband, love your wife, love your children, love the people around you, love the people that you sit on the other side of the congregation so they don't have to be next to you. Or that you change small groups so you don't have to, right? You avoid... Love them enough to want them to know God more, to know his love more, to know intimacy with him more. Pray for that for each other. Now may God be gracious to you. May God bless you and make his face to shine upon you so that his way may be known on earth, his saving power to all the nations. May God bless you. May God bless us so that all the ends of the earth may fear him and all the peoples praise him. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord, and I love you.